Hello and welcome to the Ugly Things Podcast. My name's Mike Stacks. In this episode, we're going to take you back to 1983, the year I started Ugly Things, a scrappy little fanzine that championed the underdog heroes of 60s garage and beat music. At that point, I only printed a few hundred copies and its distribution was limited, to say the least. Most were sold or given away locally at shows or at a couple of local record stores. A few went to record stores in New York City, and the rest were given away or traded to pen pals in the US and Europe. It was always exciting to check my PO box back then, as there were usually letters and packages from other fanzine publishers, collectors, and 60s music obsessives like myself. That was our World Wide Web, a grassroots network of a few hundred people who were passionate about this music and wanted to connect, learn, and discover more. One day, in December 1983, there was an envelope in my box postmarked Hawaii. When I opened it, I was astonished to find that it was a Christmas card, handmade and inscribed by Sky Sunlight Saxon. Somehow Sky Saxon, the legendarily eccentric, charismatic frontman of the Seeds, had got my address. A few days later, it might have even been the next day, I got a call from my friend Gary Raychuk, who worked at Tasha's Records, a cool record store in downtown San Diego. Hey Stax, someone called Sunlight called here looking for you. He left his number. Come on down and I'll give it to you. I don't know why I didn't just ask him to give it to me over the phone, but that's just not the way things worked back then. Some effort was expected if he were to obtain any reward. Back in 83, I didn't have a car, didn't have a driver's license, so I jumped on the bus and headed downtown to Tasha's. Have you got that number for me, I said? You know who Sunlight is, right? Sky Saxon of the Seeds. Raychek raised an eyebrow, but didn't look too impressed. Yeah, I got it here somewhere. He made a show of looking through a stack of loose papers on the counter. I know it's here somewhere. Ah, yeah. He stooped down and fished a scrap of paper out of the trash can. (laughs) Guess I put it in the circular file. After playing along with this ball-busting ritual, I was invited to sit down in Lester's chair and hang for a while. Raychak had been close friends with Lester Bangs, who had passed away the previous year. When Lester visited his mom in San Diego, he'd spend a lot of time at Tasha's shooting the shit with Raychak. This one chair next to the front counter had been his favorite perch and had now taken on iconic status. Well, at least in Tasha's universe. Anyway, because there was no phone number for ugly things in the magazine, Sky, sorry, Sunlight, had resourcefully called the number he saw in Natasha's records ad. He was obviously eager to connect, so as soon as I got home, I gave him a call. At that time, Sky was living in some kind of commune in Hawaii with various other members of the Source family, the cult led by the late Father Yard, which he'd been a part of since the early 70s. He'd somehow got a hold of a copy of Ugly Things Number 2, which included a fairly lengthy review I'd written of a Seeds reissue, and he wanted to thank me and tell me about the new music he'd been working on, his plans for world peace, saving the dogs, and, well, you'll hear. We had a series of phone conversations as a prelude to setting up a real interview for the magazine. Back then, long-distance calls were quite expensive, but Sky would insist that I call him Collect, meaning the call would be built to him. But more often than not, he'd call me. I really enjoyed our conversations, most of them long, rambling monologues. Some of them I recorded, others I didn't bother. The real interview never ended up happening. I tried to call Sunlight one day as usual and found that his number had been disconnected. Too many long-distance collect calls, no doubt. So I ended up using some of the highlights from our phone conversations for an article published in issue number three. Recently, I dug out the original cassette tape so we could put together this episode. Please excuse the crummy 1980s telephone and cassette technology. We begin with me calling Sky at an agreed-upon time in December 1983, only to find that he's in the shower. Okay. No problem for it. Thank you. 
They're just making one of my records, one of my new records. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, what's it going to be? Oh, it's a song called Hurricane Eva. Hurricane Eva? You, you call me Collect? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, call me Collect, man. Oh, it's okay. You know, I, I didn't want to, you know, keep calling Collect if you were in the shower or whatever, you know. No, it's, it's okay, really. I'm going to hang up. Call me back, Collect. Oh, okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, I'll talk to you in a minute. Then. Oh, Mike? Yeah. Give me your number. I'll call you. Okay, my number is 619. Wait a second. Oh, God. Okay. 619. Sky calls me back right away and asks if I'd like to hear one of his new songs. With the tape copy already queued up, he proceeds to play it over the phone. Anyway, you want to hear this song? Yeah, sure. I'll put it on over the phone for you. Great. Okay, so I'm paying for the call, so don't worry about anything. All right. Okay, you ready to run it? This is just a tape copy. Okay. Okay, here we go. I've had over the can you hear that so far? Yeah, I can hear it good. Is it distorted? No, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Hurricane Eva sounds alright, as far as I can tell over the long-distance telephone line. I don't think it's ever been released. As Sky explained later, the song was about a catastrophic hurricane that had hit the islands the previous year, but also about the loss of his young daughter, also called Eva, which had affected him deeply. He mentioned her several times during our conversations. That sounded really good. I mean, from what I could tell over the phone. I got a bunch of records, man. I did a whole album, and uh, I'm just releasing. I got eight albums I'm coming out with right now. I just made deals in Italy, Japan, Germany, England, France. Looks like Australia. Wow, great. What, what record labels? Hmm? What, what, what record labels? All different labels. EMI, CBS, Psycho. Some Italy label, Mediterranean, God, all kinds of labels. See, I'm trying to get a lot of money, and they won't give me any money. You know these people, you know. So what I'm doing is I'm just um, just making little record deals. You know, get five thousand up front for each one of them, or something. You know, and half I get fifty percent royalties, and then uh, then I'm gonna cut my new album, and then I'll make a deal with the majors for it. Yeah, I decided to do it, but. I'd rather have my records with the people, because I'm not into the big labels. Yeah, right, wow. I'm really not, really, because they've never done anything good for me. They've only ripped me off. They ripped off all my friends, you know. Very few people, unless it was the Beatles or the Stones, got any money. Yeah, it's true. At this time, late 1983, I'd recently formed a new group, the Telltale Hearts. And we talked briefly about that before Sky started talking about The Seeds' third and most ambitious album, Future, and their least ambitious, A Full Spoon of Seedy Blues. Do you ever make music? Um, yeah, I have a band. We're, we're called The Telltale Hearts. Yeah. What's it called? We're called The Telltale Hearts. Telltale Hearts. Far out. When I get there, I'll come and jam with you. Maybe we'll do a single or something. Yeah, that would be great. Where I'm at is I feel like my value is, is uh, I think uh, a lot of people are starting to see, like, if I would be an ordinary band, I think, even with, you know, having a few hits, but I cut Future, but see, Future is like a Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. I used to get letters from Harvard claiming it as women. They claimed it as one of the greatest masterpieces in 200 years. This was from the Harvard, you know, the music department. Really? Yeah, when I first put it out, but see, I never was finished with Future. Uh, they made me put it out, you know, when I wasn't ready to put it out. Uh, it's still a great album. Yeah. But um, why did you do the blues album after that? You, we could have taken Future further or whatever. Why did I do the blues? Yeah. yeah. My children are going wild. I can't believe it. <laughs> the reason I did the blues album is because... Uh, Paul Butterfield and the blues band came out, and I, I like blues, and I connected with Muddy Waters, you know, I found him in a, in a drugstore once, not a drugstore, just a little tiny store in Hollywood, you know, 
I was really the boulevard. And, and I recognized him, and I went up and talked to him, you know. And, see, Muddy Waters never got involved with anybody but himself. Like, I don't know if you know where he's at, but when he comes to town, you know, he's dead now, but when he comes to town, he don't check in a hotel. He checks in a little tiny room, you know, or a little boarding house, so he can cook his own food, you know, because he's into, he was into his soul food and his own cooking. That's great. So what he did, he came to every one of my sessions, and then he wrote a song. I asked him if he'd write a song for me, you know. He says, I'm so old. He says, I'm so old. He says, he said, if I just write a song, he says, I keep it to myself. He says, I don't write too many songs, and I need all the songs I can get. But then he got involved, you know, and he, he really liked the band. Like, he wrote the liner notes that we were the American produced a group like the Rolling Stones, you know, fine as the Rolling Stones. He said, blues belong to the soul, and these boys have it, you know, Skyward Hole or something. Something like that. Then he wrote this song for me called Plain Spoken. I never heard a girl speak like this before. Uh, on a blues album, but the blues album was really a put on it. I really didn't care. The blues album was to get me off the label. Yeah. Because the crescendo told me they didn't want me to do a blues album. So I figured if I do a blues album, then I'd get off the label. So then they said, well, we're not going to pay for the album. So I said, that's okay, I'll pay for it myself. So I, I did the blues album, but they had first refusal on it, so my bad luck, and you know, they accepted it. Because the concept was great, and I worked, I worked for six months on that cover, I think, you know, maybe anywhere from four to six months. And if you see the cover, you'll see how it was laid out. Yeah, right. You know? It was laid out in a spoon and clouds, and that, that was all interlaced photographs, you know. It was shot at different times, and it, you know, I think it was three layers of photography on that photograph on it, you know. Even then, you know, it was difficult. It was a good concept. I mean, all of it sitting in a spoon, you know, so it was realistic. Yeah. And uh, had I been on any label, any label but Crescendo, I would have had a hit. I'd had a giant album because there was, there was two or three hit songs in that. You know, like The Gardener was good, you know. Uh, Muddy Waters' song was good. And I had it. I mean, I, I made sure I had a couple singles that, Crescendo lost it, just like they lost my future. Um, future could have gone number one, and uh, I think it went 34 on the album chart. You know, yeah. But see, future is staying. You know, like people are still talking about it today. Like I just got a call from LA, and uh, somebody on the, I think it was uh, Ryan O'Neill's mother. You know, said that whoever produced it was a genius. You know. You see, I produced under the name Marcus Tybalt because I didn't want anybody to know to pr I produced my record. Yeah. Because I didn't believe that they would think I had that much talent. And I learned producing records, you know, going up through Hollywood, you know, with all my friends, you know, that had hits, you know, like Monster Mash and all those. They were all my friends and Alley Oop, you know. I was with them when I mean, they cut most of those records, you know, right, you know, yeah. right around them all that time. And it's far out because those are the only hits they really got. And after that, we came into our own, but we suffered, man. Like, we, we were on a tiny label, and we couldn't get no money, and we were on William Morris, and William Morris had the Beach Boys and Rolling Stones, and, and yet we were out drawing both of them in, in different areas, you know, when we'd play. Sure. And, but, see, what you have to do if you sign with an agency, you have to you have to either get an agency that totally believes in you that's going to pay a million dollars for you, and other than that, they've got they all, every agency got two or three acts, you know, and, they, and that's how they keep it. At this point, Sky began talking about his plans for the future, his ambitions of using his music as a force for positive change in the world. One of his main concerns was the inhumane treatment of animals around the planet, especially dogs. In Sky's belief system, dogs were sacred, and any cruelty toward them unleashed massive negative karmic energy, as he explained. I'm opening for the Oingo Boingo and police here in February. Oh, really? Yeah, and I heard that the what it, Stuart Cop Copeland wants to produce me, you know, co-produce with me. And I talked to Joey Ramone the other day. But I just made a deal, I think, with Moby Grape and uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company to put some of my records together in a package and uh, uh -huh. go around with them. And 
know, like I lost my daughter and nothing seems real to me anymore. You know, it really don't. Yes. And, uh, but I decided I'm going to just flood the world with this music because uh, I think that without music, it would be a really dreary existence. Whatever I've been able to contribute, you know, I, I hope people like it, but it's nothing compared to what I've got. Like Hurricane Eva, I wrote that about the hurricane before the hurricane even came. And uh, renamed it after my little daughter, you know. And after I was in preparation of it, the, the hurricane hit. But I knew about the hurricane hitting before it hit. And I even told the people on the island where it was going to hit the worst. You know, nobody believed me. You know, it was amazing, you know. I said, it's going to level your downtown in uh, Kailua. It's just going to be like a bomb hit you, you know. Nobody believed me. And I said, I live in Princeville, and you can all come back with me, you know, some of my friends, and stay there, you know. It got so bad that, you know, people there had no water, and they couldn't travel, and the streets were bad, the trees were blown over, telephone poles, it looked like a bomb had hit it. So then I left Kauai, you know, after that. So now, really, you know, what I'm all about is I'm about a non-profit foundation, like all my records are, uh, I give away 50% of my money to help the wildlife, you know. All my meditation albums have been about dogs. I'm very concerned, you know, how the dogs are being treated in the world. Uh-huh. You know, just dogs, you know, dogs that you see on your, you know, running around. Yeah. And I don't believe they should be killed in animal shelters. And I believe that every time they are, it's, uh, it's going to cause an act of catastrophe if they do it too much. And that, I believe that's why we're having all these storms and everything. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, like a lot of those places, I was there, you know, and I told them, you know, that they got to end the animal shelters and they got to, they got to have a feeding program for the dogs, you know, and they said, well, what about the people, you know? And I said, well, take care of the dogs and then the people will be taken care of because the dogs are helpless, you know? And then I believe what Dylan said, the dogs should run free. So that's what really my drive is, you know, like my, my drive is being a crusader and Helping poor people, you know. And, uh, like I wrote this song. I've been working on this song for a year and a half now. It's called Poor Farm. And uh, we're trying to figure out how to write the song, you know, for a long time. Because we're trying to figure out, well, man, it made me so poor. I feel like I'm on a poor farm, you know. But then I didn't want to direct the song at me because I knew that things would get better. And then it came to me yesterday, you know, and I finished writing it, that, God, the whole place is a poor farm. You know, San Diego, California, Hawaii, everybody, man. You know, you got to pay high taxes, you got to pay gas prices, you got to pay high food bills, you got to pay telephone bills, you got to pay electric bills, you got to pay increases in the rent, yeah. you got to pay, you know, high prices. So they're making a poor form of our country. So that's how I'm going to write the song. Yeah. And I got this other song about Reagan. You got the people living in bushes and trees and cardboard boxes. But I've got, see, I've got so much music that I could tell people about it. They could never, they could never, uh, they, they couldn't do it. I don't think they could match it because I've got 25 albums. I don't know if you know it. I've got 25 unreleased albums and I just, out of my 25 unreleased albums, I just put eight albums together and I just made six record deals for them. You know, six different labels already. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's great that you're still, like, doing stuff, you know, instead of just giving up. You know, like Dennis Wilson just died, and he's a really good friend of mine. He was a really good friend of mine. I got a picture of him on the table with me. You know, that just blew my mind. You know, like, we're only here, you know, this time, and so we got to try to make it as, as good as we can, you know, for the people. So uh, that's why I thought, you know, like, you know, the article should be Sky Sack, Skysonite Saxon blows against the ugly empire or something like that. Yeah. Or the ugly established. The ugly established. Ugly empire would be better. Blows against the un- ugly empire. Yeah, that's yeah. better. That's, that sounds kind of like Star Wars or something. Yeah, well, I was, in, I was doing Star Wars before Star Wars even was a movie. You know, all my movies, you know, check it out. They're all about stars, galaxies, and, you know. And that's some of the records that I'm putting out right now, like I'm releasing the Starry Ride and Universal Stars. And I recorded them in 76, but they're legends to people. So boys, girls, you're all beautiful stars. I'm a sunlight star. 
Wishing for my magic star Jerry Ramon and all that were dancing to him in 77 in her yard. So I think that's what's uh, giving me the interest, you know, people's interest. But I, I uh, would like to help get your magazine out, you know, and uh, I'm not sure I understand the context of Ugly Magazine, but, you know, yeah. it doesn't backfire anyway. The only thing I can think of is that you're saying that the See, the truth is, you merge something with the opposite to find out, you know. So ugly, you know, you, you know, you, the, to me, the beautiful people were the rock and rollers, you know, period, you know, of the 60s, you know. Yeah. And they're, they're you know, like, anything's ugly, man, it's a system. You know, that's yeah. What I see. Well, that, it's like a, it's like so a, it's kind of a paradox, I think you're Yeah, that's exactly what I, it is. You know, the people that the establishment considered to be ugly were really mm -hmm. beautiful. And so that they were the ugly thing, you know, what were considered to be ugly things. And that's what it's all about. We'll return to the subject of ugly and beautiful things later. But first, let's hear some more from Sky about the new music he was working on. I'll send you some of my music, you know. Yeah, I would, I would like it out. I've got a album called Invisible and Mountain and just, God, it blow you away because uh, they're different, you know, they sound like lasers, you know, the way the guitar sounds like, it sounds like a laser phaser, you know, it sounds like that, you know, haven't been used for a long time. Uh -huh. I've almost got them perfected. Wow. Well, um, so you yeah, have my address, anyone, you know, an inventor, and we're bringing in six and twelve channel stereo sound. Probably this year, next year you'll have it. You yeah. know, like the most they've got is quadraphonic now. Probably by the end of '84, the middle of '84, we'll have uh, six and twelve channel sound with healing lights. You know, so like when you hear music, you not only can hear music, but you can also be healed with the healing lights. You know, with the music. And I noticed something about my music. You know, like I've been, you know, tape recording a lot of it. You know, to send copies off to people. And I. I, it's really true, man. My music is hitting different decibels, you know? Like, it it goes over in the red, you know? Even if I turn it down, it's in the red, you know? You know, which means it has a lot of energy in it. Right. And I can put on another record, and it doesn't go over there at all, you know? So, I don't know. Just, <clears throat> I guess I'm blessed that, that it came out that way. Maybe it's the sound of my voice. I don't know. But it, there's something really cosmic about it, you know? When you can put on all these records, and they don't go jumping like... Like when I put on these new records, they jump all over the board. <laughs> right. They go red and green lights all over, and the others just hit green, but they never ever hit the red. Yeah. You know? That's far out. No wonder he's drumming with his shoe. Okay, go ahead. One, two. Yeah. Ready? One, two, three, four. The Seeds keyboard-dominated sound and the way the band was configured, with no bass player, at least on stage, was apparently a big influence on The Doors when they first formed. But a year or two later, the script was flipped, and The Doors began to influence The Seeds to some extent, as Sky explained. Take a look at my palm Tell me what you see See, I, to me, I think the greatest singer that was peaking with Jim Morrison because he did change the sound, you know, like he, he borrowed from the seeds, but he had that sound. And see, when he died, there was no one to take his place except me. And I think, like a lot of my songs are like Morrison's songs now, you know, because Morrison and I really liked each other. You know, like I was his idol and uh, he was my idol. Far out, you know? Like I, I didn't admire Mick Jagger as much as I admired Morrison. Mick Jagger is really a, he, see, he's a performer. He knows how to steal a show without even doing a show. You know, and evidence of it is that, you know, might mention in your magazine that the Doors had their big concert, you know, at the Hollywood Bowl. It was their giant concert. And I went to the concert, you know, mm -hmm. limousine, the whole thing, you know, had box lunch there, you know. 
had a bottle of champagne. I mean, I was doing it up great, man. I was digging their concert, and I loved it, man. And then halfway through the middle of the concert, they announced it. Well, you'll never believe who we have here. They said, we have, let's give you a gift or something like that, you know. Mick Jagger is here. He's actually here. Mick Jagger is backstage with the doors. And he stole it from him. He didn't even get up, and he didn't sing. He didn't do nothing. He knew what he did when he did it, you know. And it's the same thing that he did to me in the... In, when I'd taken L.A. for a year and a half, which I did, you know, I'd, I'd literally taken L.A. for a year and a half, and I deserved Mick Jagger a shot at him. I'd been trying to get a shot at him for so long, you know. Then who did he take on tour with him but the Standells? Yeah. It was ridiculous, because we'd blown the Standells away years ago, you know. The, the, you know, the Standells were a recording group, and we were a, we were a recording group and a, and a visual group, you know. But yeah. Jagger never plays with anybody that's better than him. The only person I ever seen play with was Stevie Wonder. And uh, Stevie Wonder couldn't have heard him because he had different audiences. But if Stevie Wonder had been white, you know, yeah. and it had been a different thing, he would have taken, you know, the show from Jagger. So playing, you know, in a band is is, is, uh, is really like a giant chess set. You know, like you have to make the right moves, you know, to... Uh, like I always thought that the Beach Boys and I would be a great act together, you know. And I signed up with the Beach Boys, and they held me in limbo for about a year and a half. You know, and they were the, really the cause the Buffalo Springfield broke up. A lot of people don't know it, but they were the cause they broke up because they couldn't get any work. You know, because huh. I had five hit records in Canada, and the Beach Boys took the Pickle Brothers, on, you know, in Canada, and you know stuff like that. You know, it's just you know it's just it's not right on. Yeah, but, but I think that since uh, Dennis died, I think it's uh, I don't know. Dennis was a good part of the Beach Boys, but as much as I like the Beach Boys, I think they're they're gone. I think they're passe. You know, like I just talked to somebody today, and they said they don't sell many albums anymore at all. You know, yeah, they sell maybe fifty thousand albums when they put out an album. And, uh, I think you know they've been around twenty years, and they should bow out. Oh, like yeah. I might have been around for sixteen years, but see, I changed personalities. I went to Sky Sunlight Saxon and I brought in the World Peace Band and then I had the Stars New Seeds Band. And I had chances to put the seeds together a lot of times for a hundred grand people would offer me. But I didn't want to do it because I didn't want the seeds to come back and I didn't want all these old bands to come back with them. But now I can't stop it, you know. It's, it's like all these records have taken their toll, you know, from Germany and Europe and they're filtering over here and yeah. So it looks like the seeds are part of American history now. Oh yeah. Musical history. I think it's good because, like, we were an American group, and it's good to focus on a on, a, on an American group. And we brought in flower power, and that, the movement. You know, if you could describe it, you know, was the whole concept was peace and the peace symbol to, that people could love one another again. You know. And, the main reason I'm really coming back is because my daughter left and because they're killing dogs in Peking, China. You know, they're just killing them without any reason. Every dog they find, they're killing them. And you can write in your thing, man, that, that sunlight predicts there's going to be an end to China. You know, China's going to be hit really hard. You know, like I do my song, I got a dragon broke his back or something, and children laugh because the thunder gods are throwing lightning. I think it's little more than people realize, and I think that the, a lot of the musicians and a lot of the artists, you know, of our time were really uh, messiahs in a way, you know, musical messiahs to to different degrees, you know, whatever they, you know, they were true to, but they were trying to do something in the 60s, you know, if you can write in your magazine, Nixon almost killed the 60s music, you know, his administration, they stopped Eight Miles High and they stopped Mr. Farmer and they were into finding out what every record said, you know, and you know, oh, yeah. dictatorship, and and you can't do this, and, and uh, that's why he went out of power. I don't. So I, I believe in uh, in Thomas Jefferson, you know, the Declaration of Independence. That's where I'm at, and I believe that if we followed it a little bit more, then we would all have a little bit more freedom. Yeah, I'm probably a little far off from what you want to talk about, but I'm just throwing out different thoughts so you can reflect on them. And, oh yeah. And write down, you know, to people what I'm, what I'm like and what I believe in. I believe in people. I believe that everybody should have enough to eat. They shouldn't have to starve. 
And I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian 21 years. Fruitarian about 10 years. And then I saw something on TV the other day that this guy was a breastarian for 19 years. I'm trying to get in touch with him to find out how he pulls it off. Because his eyes were just like, God, they're so bright. You couldn't believe it. So you can still be a vegetarian and eat fish, you know, but meat, eating meat at this point in time, you know, like, I don't know, it's it's just, you know, you, your your body is your temple, and if you can keep your temple together, then you can you can hit the highest degree of uh, glory when you leave the body, and that's what it's all about. That's what I that's what I believe, and I believe that heaven is within you. You know, the church is within you. Uh-huh. I think that's why the seeds have remained because they were always the underdog. I think our music represented something that that rock and roll didn't. I mean, I, I like rock and roll, but then I don't like rock and roll. Like, if somebody says you play rock and roll, I don't. I play cosmic rock and roll. You know, ever since you know. God, I guess 69, if you listen to my songs, they're a little psychedelic. Rock and roll to me is like, you know, like, I don't know, like Bill Haley would do when he set up. But I mean, he was the start of rock and roll. But, you know, like, my Creedence Clearwater, that's rock and roll, you know. And rock and roll has its form, you know. It, it's it's allowable, but I see the new music is more cosmic, you know, that's coming in, you know. People are going for, well, you got more buyers, you got an international market now, you know. Look, I'm working on right now getting my records to Russia. And it's very difficult to get them over there. Yeah, that would be really great. Wow. There's a lot to unpack in that last monologue, but why even try? My strategy back then, if you could call it that, was to just let Sky talk and not interrupt the flow. Maybe I should have tried to direct the conversation more, but I was kind of in awe of what I was hearing and more interested in hearing what he was going to say next. Listening back now, I realize he was probably just stoned out of his skull and free associating words and ideas, but I have no doubt of the sincerity of even some of his loopier beliefs. One observation, though, about the last monologue. I hate to defend Richard Nixon, but he wasn't president when Eight Miles High and Mr. Farmer came out and were blacklisted by some radio stations for all their alleged drug connotations. Let's return to the tape. But uh, I hope your magazine does good. You know, if you write good things in your magazine and... Uh, and you're kind to the artist, you know. I think the artists will support you. And I think that the people, you know, there's a lot of artists, you know, that they're, you know, that they love them, you know. Like I get, from Rodney's interview the other day, I got so many letters, I can't believe it. All right. But I would like to write a song for you. And uh, if, if I can think of a song, you know, like if uh, you send me a tape of your band, maybe I'll write your song, you know, personally for you. And I don't... Yeah, I would do that. But... So you could hear what our sound is like, you know. But we got a sort of a contact together, so I wouldn't mind doing it. I heard this one song, Contact High. It was a far out song. But then I changed it on Future to Now and Then. I should have left it Contact High. You know, but the record company wouldn't let me do it. We'll be right back. Yeah, I was never finished with Now Man. They made me put it out. I was still working on it, you know. Like, Mick Jagger just got through writing that song. He wants to paint every door black. I said I had a magic crane box. I was going to paint all the black doors white or something. Oh, going to paint out the silver locks. I didn't believe in locks and jails and bars. That's what Travel with your, with your Mind was about. It was written for people that were in jails and institutions and mental hospitals and people that were locked up and, you know, that couldn't do anything about their existence. I was trying to tell them that, that they can't control your mind and your mind can do anything, like you could travel anywhere you wanted with it. Next, Sky told me about a song he'd been working on after the Future album called A Street to the Sun. At that time, the song was completely unknown and unreleased, but a few years ago, the tape was discovered, and A Streak to the Sun finally saw the light of day. Well, 
know how I made that record? I made that record at Columbia Studios with uh, Columbia trying to sign me up, you know, Billy James. And uh, I made it with about 30 bottles. Picture this, man. I had about 30 bottles. And uh, I didn't wear gloves at first, but I wore gloves after I started bleeding, you know. But I started smashing the bottles. I was singing, I was smashing the bottles. And you can hear the glass smashing. I didn't want anything that was, you know, dubbed in or anything. So I was doing my real thing. So there I was standing in the booth singing. I had all this pile of glass around me and I was bleeding, you know. But the song was great, you know. It just sounds like you're going right into the sun on a, you know, on a silver streak or a gold streak. Wow, do you still have a tape of that song? I don't know. There's two albums I made that are totally lost and I don't know where they are. And they got a lot of good songs in them. This phony manager ripped me off from my house and ran off with the tape. And then I was going to punch him out when I saw him, but then he had a plate in his head and he lost everything. And by then I was just really, you know, I just figured his own karma would do it. But people are all I realized how where the doors were at, and I was, I was doing songs, you know, like. The Doors copied me, then I was after the Doors style, you know, but I couldn't sound like the Doors because I was playing a different type of sound, you know, my organ player played a different kind of sound. Uh -huh. But I, I did do some really heavy, sophisticated songs that nobody's really heard yet. Yeah. And I got a new song out called Travel to the Sun, Traveling to the Sun. Yeah. Sounds like a Jim Morrison song. I got a record coming out of Europe right now at Crystal Lake. And that sounds like a Jim Morrison, like Jim Morrison singing even. Wow. So I feel like I'm pulling his spirit, you know, like, I'm in tune with Elvis and uh, John Lennon and Jim Morris, and those are the spirits, you know, I feel I'm pulling them. I feel that, you know, if you believe in those people and you like them, you know, and you like their music, that their spirit has the power to come back and connect with you. And through you, you do what they wanted to do or they didn't get to do or what they didn't realize to do. Uh, like Elvis was, you know, great, man. He's a good friend of mine, you know. I mean, see, when you, when you start doing music, you have to realize that the, the, the White House starts checking in on you. Nixon was down on music. You ought to put that in your magazine, you know? Yeah, I hope it comes back as a turnip or something, you know? But he was down on music, uh -huh. totally down on music, and he didn't like the music, and he wanted the music to declare itself. And, uh, and marijuana, I think marijuana is great, man, I think. People ought to smoke it every day, and they wouldn't have to take so much medicine. It grows in 126 countries in the world, so how bad can it be? And the guy that stopped it was some ball-headed dude, man, that looked like Jagger Hoover. He, he froze it in 126 countries. And See, I, I helped Norm, you know, for a while, N-O-R-M, N-O-R-L, or whatever it was, you know, for legalization of marijuana with Capitol Records. But anybody that understands that law will realize that... Uh, the only way to break it is you've got to you've got to hit the 126 countries at the one time that it's totally unconstitutional. Period. You know you can't go one state at a time. You guys just got to declare, man. The whole thing is unconstitutional. It's against the Declaration of Independence. You know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's uh, I got this song called Spirit of America, and that's the song I'm going to put out. But if anybody really wants to know where I'm at, I guess they should just listen to my music, except for the blues album. The blues album was just a put on, you know. Yeah. A lot of things I directed it myself, you know. But you know, you know, like uh, I didn't mean it for me at all. I just took it on myself, you know. So people would say, "Well, man, if that's you," and I say, "Well, that's not me, man. But that's what you're doing, you know. And you know, why don't you wake up? You know, I, I took the cross on, but now I give you back the cross, and now you change it, you know. Uh -huh. So uh, I don't know. I always try to make records that are allegoric, you know, like they could be taken two different ways. It's really where I'm at. It just, uh, I think people have to decide what they want and decipher their own meaning out of it and enjoy the music. I asked Sky about why he left California for Hawaii and when he might return. As you might expect if you've been listening this long, his answer was full of surprises. Sky in a Clint Eastwood movie? Sky collaborating with members of The Doors? More about his efforts to save the dogs. Oh yeah, and ugly and beautiful things. I was supposed to come out and do a movie. I'm supposed to be in a Clint Eastwood movie, and I didn't go because my daughter. And I was supposed to do the Charlie Chaplin movie. And I'm supposed.
supposed to be there in January. So, and then I just had an offer to come in and do an album in L.A. with all the best musicians that I wanted to play with. And so I think uh, I could come to L.A. in January. You know, wow. if I come, I just want to stay for no more than a month just to do a video, an album, and come back home. Because I love Hawaii. You know, I left Hollywood because I couldn't break through and I couldn't stand to see the dogs suffer anymore. Yeah. In fact, my last days in Hollywood, you know, the last years, you know, the last five years I was there were, were dedicated to going to the animal shelter and saving dogs from the animal shelter and then waiting there with my old car and, and taking the dogs that people were going to kill, you know, and finding homes for them. And then after that, you know, people thought, well, he's crazy, man, because then I'd go around to restaurants and, and beg food for dogs that were hungry. But by then I'd lost all personality, you know, and, and I couldn't get through with my music because my music wasn't being accepted. It was being accepted in Europe, but I didn't know it, you know. And the major labels don't give you a break because see, Seeds were such a threatening group that, that when they did come out and when they were free, people that, that could have helped us didn't. And the people actually, you know, that are helping me now, they're all my fans, you know. They're like, God, like they're people that grew up with the music but now are in control of something, you know, like, like you're doing this magazine, but from this magazine it might stem to be something really great, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> in fact, your magazine's called Ugly Things. I would call your magazine Ugly and Beautiful Things, you know? You know, I would get, you know, because, see, some people can't figure out the paradoxes, you know? Well, it, make, it makes them look, though. They look, and then when they read it, they should be able to get the message. But when you say the magazine's called Ugly Things, everyone goes, Wow, ugly things, you know, it really like grabs the attention. Yeah, you why don't you say ugly and beautiful things? I don't, I don't think it would have as much impact as saying ugly things. You don't? Yeah. I do. I think you'd get them both ways coming then. Then you get people to decide what is ugly and what is beauty. Uh -huh. you know, see, people, you gotta understand something, Mike, that even though you have a concept and you can think and I can think, you know, and we can reason, a lot of these people out there don't. Now, what they see is what, what it is, you know. Uh -huh. And if somebody comes along, you know, I've always thought, you know, that to make fun of yourself, you know, Mike Kennedy was into that, you know, John Kennedy. He took the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh -huh. Because only a, only somebody that, that has no personality can do that, you know. It's not afraid to say, well, man, I'm poke fun of myself, man, but I'm just, just a game, you know. Don't get involved in it, you know. Don't take it literally, you know. Uh -huh. I feel like I've got to... You know, there's a lot I've got to say, and I wish I, I hope they let me say it, you know, like where I was at, what I'm about. You know, I, I consider myself a savior for dogs, you know, and I don't think I'm the only one. I know I'm not the only one, and I just pray, you know, that some people will come and help, because even while we're talking, man, they're killing dogs, you know. It don't feel good, you know. It don't feel good to have no power to change it. You know, like I literally have to climb over the fences. I climb over the fences in animal shelters and take them out you know, and cut holes in their fences. I mean, it's been my trip. You know. I've been a rebel all the way. You know. In fact, I think that Arthur Lee and Love, myself, I think we're the two majors that never sold out. Yeah. You know, I think everybody else sold out, you know, to a degree, you know. And uh, I think that's why... Since I didn't sell out, I have a chance now to sell myself, and I can do what I really want to do is give away half of my money, you know, to, to change it. Because uh -huh. money doesn't mean anything anyway. It's just, you can only use so much money to do something anyway. And, uh, with this invention that I just acquired, you know, with my friend, I think I can really bring music to a new dimension for people. That's what I'm looking forward to. You know? Well, I hope you can do it. But uh, maybe for me, you could put ugly and beautiful things, you know. Yeah. You know, ugly and beautiful things, you know. Like, uh, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll write you something that, that you want, you know, that, that would, could be good for your magazine, because I'm really interested in the independent. That's why I'm paying for the phone call. I don't want you to spend any of your money. And I would like to see you make it. And anything I can do, I mean it sincerely, I will, I will try to help you, because thought it was nice that you wrote about me and I just hope that if I'm good that people will be good and see that if they alienate me then they better find another champion you know and uh, I hope that somebody that loves dogs and would 
help humanity out as much as I would, you know. And the Sage really were rebels. I mean, like we used to play with six guns on our on our waist. I don't know if you know that. But, uh, we used to go on stage. We had real six guns with bullets in them. Wow. And we could have backed off the police, let me tell you. I mean, we had old, old, you know, we had the old six shooters, you know, six shot, you know, the kind that you see in. Um, have gun will travel or a wider pad, you know, those are the yeah. guns we had, you know, with the long barrel. Wow, really? Like, what, yeah. what, you had, you had, had, had guns, right? Yeah, we all had our little, we had our six guns on. You know, we'd take off and go smoke a joint, take some acid, you know. And the police would always come up just when I'd finished the joint. I'd never find anything on me. I'd never got busted, you know. I've never been busted, you know. I went, took the Buffalo Springfield to the south when you get 90 years in prison. Police broke in my motel room and, you know, we'd just done up this bag of grass. Stood looking all over for it. They asked me where it was and I pointed up in the air and laughed, man. I said, it's up in the air. <laughs> but I think we've been blessed, you know, and I think I'm still being blessed. And this guy told me the other day, he said, you have really good karma. And he said, I feel like your time is ready to happen and we want to get behind you. And if that's the guy that's going to get all the good musicians behind me. And I made a record deal with him. And, uh, but I would like to do, you know, like, I don't know if you know when the seeds were playing, but I did so many benefit concerts. I did, I bet half my concerts were benefit concerts. And they, they weren't small concerts. I mean, they were big, you know, like a few times I'd play the swing auditorium for, you know, 16 or 18,000 people, you know. I did it for polio, I did it for everybody, you know, people, you know, all kinds of things, you know. Yeah, I think that the artist does, owes that, and uh, I'm down on the Stones because it, I feel the Stones have, have taken music to a degree that it doesn't belong, you know. I, I, I don't I don't believe in Mick Jagger and uh, because of all the songs that he's made about violence. And I think violence breeds more violence, and I believe his tickets were priced way too high. Oh, yeah. You know, well, they're, they're not make money. That's all now. And we made it, you know, the American group like we were supposed to, you know. You know, history would have gave us, you know, been on the right label. You would never be paying more than 2 or $3 for a concert right now because I would have held the ticket prices down. And that way, more people would have seen it and it would have been bigger. But now what it is, it's, it's become, I almost have to join forces with them, you know. Like, I don't think I can do that 2 or $3 a ticket anymore. I've got to... I've got to go right where they're going, you know, but my heart is with the people and I'll, I'll do a lot of benefit concerts when I can and making videos and I'll be happy to help your band, you know, any way I can. Um, say your name of your band to me again. The Telltale Hearts. The Telltale Hearts. What does it mean? The Telltale Hearts, like, uh, it's from a guy on Post Story. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, oh, that's pretty good. So, uh, uh, you got five people in it? Yeah. Have you cut any records? No, we're pretty new. You know, we've only been gone for like a, uh, you know, three months or something. So we're really only just getting underway. Well, I may could make a record deal for you internationally. So when you do get something, you know, I'll be in your corner and help you out. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. You really, uh, sure. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, let, let me, uh, Save you some uh, some of your phone bill. I better get off the okay. line. But yeah, um, if you want to call me up in a few days, you know, any more new ideas that you have, just give me another call. Collect, I can handle it. Okay, great. Thank you. And and uh, if you can tell your band hello for me, and I wish him good luck. Yeah, they'll be thrilled. Let me tell you. But uh, uh, well, I'm thrilled that they like me. You know, and that they like the music. And I think can't seem to make your mind would be good, and flyer lady and assistant would be really good. Yeah, well, the piano. Tripmaker's a good song. Tripmaker. Rolling Machine's a good song. There's that's, that's, that's so many good songs. I, I can't even begin to choose. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to narrow it down. And then I'll send you a tape or something so you can hear what we sound like. Far out, you know, I'll, I'll do something for you for sure. What sign are you? I'm Gemini. Gemini, you tell me that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Gemini's a good sign. That's the twins, right? Yeah, that's the twins. Yeah, the twins. The Ugly 
and Beautiful Things podcast was produced by James Archer and narrated by Mike Stacks. I'm a Gemini. That's the twins. You can order the latest issue of Ugly Things magazine at uglythings.com. That's ugly-things.com. Where you can also order back issues, vinyl, CDs, and books, and read additional articles and reviews. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and tell your friends. We would also really appreciate it if you became a Patreon supporter. For a small monthly donation, Patreon members get exclusive access to all kinds of interesting bonus content. Your contribution will help us keep bringing you the very best in 1960s beat, garage, and psychedelic music. I'd like to send out a personal thank you to our top Patreon supporters, Michael Barbara, Chip Lyon, Rob Brannigan, Ray Brandis, and Phil Payne. Thank you, all of you, for your support, and thank you for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.